Live to see it, friends, and welcome to the world transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At the world transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. How are you, my friend? Doing great. Excited about this series of shows we're doing this week. Absolutely. Well, we had a wonderful fast-forward show on Monday, and we're continuing that throughout the rest of this week, talking with some friends from the Foresight Institute. But before we bring them on, we've got another host on the show this evening. I'd like to introduce our good friend, our good buddy, and our Hollywood correspondent, best-selling author, P.J. Manny. How are you doing, P.J.? I'm doing well. How are you? Super fantastic. It's nice to have you on the show. So has has the whirl of frenzy of activity from promoting the book subsided sufficiently or are you still uh, still in the crazy time with that or how's that going well i've kind of forced it to subside because i have book three to complete so i'm quite busy well we appreciate you taking the time to be with us this week it's i i would never miss it phil once again that book is called identity folks if you haven't read it yet you got to check that out and then we're very pleased to welcome back to the program christine peterson Christine writes, lectures, and briefs the media on world-transforming technologies. She is the co-founder and former president of Foresight Institute, the leading nanotech public interest group. Foresight educates the public, technical community, and policymakers on nanotechnology and its long-term effects. She serves on the advisory board of the Machine Intelligence Research Institute and has served on California's Blue Ribbon Task Force on Nanotechnology and the editorial advisory board of NASA's Nanotech Briefs. She has directed numerous Foresight conferences on molecular nanotechnology, organized Foresight Institute Feynman Prizes, and chaired Foresight Vision Weekends. Christine Peterson, welcome to The World Transformed. Oh, it's great to be back, Phil. Thanks for having me. Well, this is great. Twice and three times in one week. This is uh, a a new record. Awesome. Yeah, we're very excited to have you with us. And we have another guest. Stephen, would you introduce our additional guest? Yes, yes. Also with us tonight is Allison Dutman. Allison is interested in applying good philosophy to guide important technologies towards the long-term flourishing of sentient life. She holds a summa cum laude MS in philosophy and public policy from the London School of Economics. In her dissertation, she developed a moral framework for artificial general intelligence that relies on natural language processing. She has hosted and planned TEDx events, panels, workshops, exhibitions, debates, and conferences for, for governments, Companies, think tanks, NGOs, and the public in Germany, France, Colombia, the UK, and the US. She is the chair of the Foresight Institute's Vision Weekend. She also conducts research, authors' reports, and hosts the invitational technical workshops and public events. Her current research is existential hope and reduction of existential risks, especially macro strategy, AI safety, and cybersecurity. Allison also serves as advisor to the AI Robotics Board of the Lifeboats Foundation. Allison, welcome to the program. Good evening. Hi. So great to have you with us, Allison, and uh, really excited to get into some of the topics that 
Stephen just mentioned. In fact, just to recap, for those who weren't with us on the Monday show, that was a fast forward. It wasn't a regular World Transformed. On that show, we got to talk with Christine a little bit about Foresight Institute, a little bit about the upcoming Vision Weekend, and a little bit about what Foresight has been up to. But we thought we would take these next two days and kind of expand on all of those topics. So it's really great to have you with us, Allison, to guide us through some of that. And I think our first topic should be just uh, maybe a quick recap of what Foresight Institute is. And maybe, uh, Christine, you want to take that one just very briefly? Sure. So Foresight is a nonprofit organization. We've been around quite a while now, uh, over 30 years, focusing on coming technologies, which are revolutionary, uh, and are going to have a big impact on the human future, either positive or negative, and uh, trying to steer them, obviously, in a positive direction. Our primary focus for our first 30 years has been nanotechnology, and it still, I would say, is our heaviest area of focus. Um, but we've got a number of other ones ramping up, um, and I think we'll be discussing those uh, on the show today. Yeah, it was exciting talking about some of those things on the Monday show. We talked a little bit about, obviously, about nanotech, and, and there's been an emphasis over the years on AI, and there have been all kinds of interesting topics that come up on the weekends, and we'll, we'll get down to the, what, what's happening with the weekend a little bit later. But the one that got my attention in the introduction that Stephen just gave is this phrase, existential hope. Uh, Allison, can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Sure. So um, usually at Foresight, my research focuses on existential risks. So risks that could wipe out any potential for a positive flourishing of sentient life, especially human sentient life. Um, and many of these risks um, that are important, like, for example, engineered pandemics or nuclear war or my current research focus, which is AI accidents, misuse or rogue AI, are quite negative. Um, and I do agree that, you know, risks are important, but they tend to put the cart before the horse. So focusing solely on how catastrophic human extinction would be often misses the point that extinction is only so bad because the alternative could be so good, right? So the futures that we could create if we don't get wiped out um, are really beautiful beyond imagination. If there's an example for um, a letter by, it's called Letter from Utopia. It's an imaginary letter that Nick Bossom um, authored um, and in it, a potential future being living in Utopia writes back to humans and urges humans to bring this Utopia into existence. And he writes, we love life here every instant. Every second is so good that it would blow your mind had its amperage not been previously increased. My contemporaries and I bear witness, and we are requesting your aid. Please help us come into existence. Please join us. Whether this tremendous possibility becomes a reality depends on your actions. If your empathy can perceive at least the outlines of the visions I'm describing, then your ingenuity will find a way to make it real. Human life at its best is fantastic. I'm asking you to create something even greater. Life that is truly humane. So this is just like one brief quote, right? But I think it's really optimistic visions like these that do something to you. So they tickle a different part of your mind 
um, then neutral assessment of risks that the field of existential risk often inhibits. So I thought, well, if you care about the long-term future of sentient beings, then the best way to bring this about um, might not be by focusing on the risks that prevent us from getting there, but on the visions that remind us why we absolutely have to get there. Um, and I think many people, especially entrepreneurs and investors, are more motivated by these great futures that they can work towards rather than by focusing on the risks where, you know, even an okay outcome in which survivors already success. So um, having this in mind, I created an index, like a list of readings, of podcasts, of videos, of projects, of organizations and tools um, that in inspire these positive long-term visions for humanity. So visions with existential hope. And the list begins with items that lay out why we should care about the long-term future um, and then have some focus areas, for example, AI and cyberspace, where I collect specific items in that space um, and then finishes with a toolkit that individuals can employ to make these futures reality. Amazing, amazing stuff. I, I love the term existential hope. I think it's long overdue that there, that there be some focus on the positive side. PJ, Stephen, you'll remember we did a show well, uh, two, three months ago called Whatever Happened to the Future. And one of the things we talked about there was this kind of shift that has occurred from a very optimistic outlook on the future that folks within the transhumanist, singularitarian, nanotech communities have to a much more bleaker kind of a worldview. And maybe now we're, we're seeing the beginnings of what could be a, a real change there. Yes, absolutely. There definitely needs to be some kind of balance between the fears of existential risk and the movement forward towards existential hope. Because if we don't actually start embracing the positive of these things, it could be very, we could self-create a, a negative future. Exactly. And Allison, if I, not to paraphrase, but what you are talking about there and what Nick Bostrom was kind of referring to in his letter is we self-create a much more positive future, right? Yeah, that's, that's at least the plan. And there are, there's of course always that kind of backlash of, well, but, you know, shouldn't we, um, if we just try to survive, shouldn't we really just be focusing on, there's a rule called maxi-poc, so maximizing the probability of an okay outcome. Um, so in which successes, um, like survival is already a success. So the counter objection to kind of my argument might be, well, you know, we should rather just focus on getting by. We should maximize the outcome of an o of the, the probability of an okay outcome instead of trying to aim for a really high future. And these might, both strategies might recommend different actions. But I, I do think that even if what you're ultimately worried about is just survival, so it's just potential risk, then I think a really good motivational moment um, is still created by focusing um, on the really positive future. So kind of according to the motto, like, if you want to land on the moon, shoot for the stars, right? Um, even if you only take the strategy of hope as a means to an end of reducing existential risk, I, I think it still has value there. Definitely, definitely. I think it, I think it makes a, a lot of sense. And it's a it's a refreshing change, I must say. We're so used to seeing risk, and we talked earlier about angst uh, before the before the show began. Uh, existential risk—that the word existential is so often associated with 
the idea of risk. It, it, it's almost like those two words go together. It's nice to see. It's nice to see another word associated with that. And I wonder if this kind of gets us back to the roots of this sort of movement. Christine, you know, if you remember going back in the 90s, we had the extropian movement. There was always a very positive vibe around around talking about these kinds of subjects. And it seems like that has diminished over the years. What, what do you think? Is this uh, foresight taking a, taking a stand back in the other direction then? I'd say yes. I think um, you remember the early days of foresight. I mean, we certainly we acknowledged the downsides of technology. We never denied that. But just in parallel with that, always from the beginning, there was a positive vision, a positive vision that included increased human longevity. Um, it included artificial intelligence. It included um, space development and space settlement. Lots of very positive visions. Um, another big strong element was environmental cleanup, really bringing the environment back to where we'd like it to be in terms of the atmosphere, the water, species diversity, all these things we want to do. So from the beginning, it had, uh, it had this strong positive vision component. And you're right. I think, I think that the world has kind of drifted in a negative direction, not, not, not necessarily at foresight, but the external world. We're kind of in a in kind of a sad time right now. So I think it yes, I think it's time for a rebirth of this positive, ambitious, world building type of attitude, and um, that Allison is pointing out here. And it's interesting because I think most of the items that you just named, so longevity, um, space exploration, um, then environmental cleanup, um, and AI for sure, um, they are all top fields in that index. So the index kind of starts off with, um, it has three sections, and it starts off with a visionary section. And here I collect items like podcasts, readings, whatever, that really lay out why, do we, why should we even care about the long-term future? What's out there if we get it right? Um, and then the second part um, in the focus area section, this is where the kind of areas come in then that Christine just mentioned. So here I really collect readings and items that fit that are informative for a, a, not really a lay person, but someone who's already interested but doesn't really know where to start. He, he or she can then, you know, con, consult these different subsections and read the kind of, I think, best condensed readings or listen to the best condensed podcasts on these different sub, subsections. And then the third part is this kind of really like meta toolkit. So these are kind of tools that I think are useful across the board for whatever type of positive future you want to create. So different subfields here are um, communication, collaboration, so tools to increase collaborativeness amongst people or truth and knowledge or tracking and predicting. Or, and there are different sub subfields, I think, that um, are important no matter what future you create. So the, the focus of the index is really, really action-oriented. I don't just want to collect nice readings that give you a nice glow when you read them, but um, I purchased the website existentialhope.com and who knows, by the time that this podcast airs, um, I might have already been able to migrate a substantial amount of the index onto this website. I purchased the domain, the domain a little bit, over, well, a couple of weeks ago for $6.99, so hope is quite cheap these days. <laughs> um, <coughs> But yeah, the idea is really to bring that out to the public um, so that, you know, if 
you want to make the future a better place, but you don't really know where to start, um, or you're overwhelmed by all the readings that are out there, you can check out the website, you can get inspired, have an overview of the different focus areas, and then really utilize the tools section there um, to create the future that you want. So will the Vision Weekend actually have uh, people working on these specific silos of nanotech and AI and life extension and helping come and put together some great ideas for these hopeful projects? Well, I think that I, I, I'm hopeful <laughs> that we will touch all of the subsections that I mentioned on the index over the Vision Weekend just because um, they tend to really positively influence each other. But the Vision Weekend is and so far related to the index as that it should really inspire this positive vision again, this grander vision that is not only really comprised of one technology, but that makes you care first. So it first really kind of tackles the, the bigger question and then of course how the different technologies um, interact with each other um, is also a really important factor and there will definitely um, be focus sessions on AI, for example, on, on the brain as next frontier, on a couple of different things, and I'm sure we'll get there in the podcast. But I think it is really important to remember, to, to remind people that this is not, in my mind at least, like a deterministic future that we might experience, but that it's really up to us to create the future that we want. So we should first really think about the type of future that we like before we start really focusing on the technological aspects. You know, I think that brings up a great point, which is the Vision Weekend. We've mentioned it a couple of times, and we did talk about it on the Monday show, but let's spend a, a couple uh, moments here just reviewing what exactly that is. Christine, can you tell us what the what is the Foresight Vision Weekend? What we've been doing for quite a while now is we bring together the Foresight members who are the most excited about bringing these visions into reality. Um, we, we try to do this once a year, and we call it our Vision Weekend. We used to call it our Senior Associates Gathering, and some of your listeners will remember it under that name. And we bring in the most visionary speakers on these topics to inspire us, and then we actually try to get some work done, both at in interacting more directly with the speakers. And then the format this year is a little different. We've devoted an entire day to actually fleshing these things out. But because Allison is the chair this year, I think I'm going to let her describe it. Sure. So if the index, for example, kind of focused on utopias and why creating utopias might neither be impossible nor boring, even though that term I'm aware has a lot of negative baggage. I think on the vision we can really focus on how do we make that reality? So how do we not just dream up positive visions, but how do we filter out which ideas that already exist are good? Where do they need to be refined? And how do you even start acting on them? So what are the concrete action items that need to happen to make the, the best of the ideas that we came across over the whole year a reality? And so the weekend, which is, by the way, December 2nd and 3rd in San Francisco, um, I'm sure that we'll post a link in the comment section here. And it will be broken up into two parts. On Saturday, as Christine mentioned, we have the keynote panel. So here, like industry leaders deliver food for thought during panels. And then these panels are 
followed by private, private Q&A. These are speaker tables. And then on Sunday, we have strategy sessions, which are then, they distill the, all the ideas that were floating around on Saturday and then have deep dives into the topics of the highest importance, importance in, in smaller groups. And some of these strategy sessions are booked for speakers, but you can apply to host a strategy session on your future vision as well. So be bold. Sunday is off the record, so we really try to be quite frank. I think in, in so far as like the general description of the two days that, that pretty much sums it up. Um, and then, um, you know, to talk a little bit maybe more about the panels, if you want to talk on content. For now, we have four main panels, one starting off with long-term thinking, um, so much to do, so little time. Then mm -hmm. we go into a panel on blockchain, master keys to unlock the future. We have one on longevity, which is a topic close to my heart, um, and we focus on how to reach escape velocity for life extension. And then the last one, of course, intelligence. Uh, the brain is next frontier, question mark. So. We try to go broader than just AI here. Um, and I'm happy to say a little bit about the topic of the panels, or I could dive into the speakers. Yeah, the speakers. We'd love to know who's going to be attending. We have many serial participants in Foresight events. So one of them is David Eagerman, uh, the infamous neuroscientist who has his own PBS series, Brain with David Eagerman. We have Sonia Arison from the Tier Foundation. We have Max Moore, who is the head of Alcor Cry Preservation. We have Jun Yoon, the president of Palo Alto Investors. We have Aubrey Gray, uh, the legend in uh, the fight against aging. And then um, kind of more, kind of like more newer faces on the scene, like Zuko Wilcox, who is the founder of Zcash, uh, the cryptocurrency that is dedicated to privacy. And there are many others. So. Please go on our website, check out the speaker profiles and their visions um, and short clips. What a great lineup. That, that sounds really exciting. That is great. great. Phil, I wanted to ask you, you, you actually, uh, it was, it's been about 15 years ago now, attended a vision weekend that pretty much, I mean, it had a huge impact on you, didn't it? Well, it absolutely did. In fact, that, that, that was the first one that I ever attended. I think it was back in 83, uh, not 83, excuse me, uh, 2003. And mm -hmm. that was, I will just say that if, if you're not excited listening to this lineup of speakers and this lineup of topics, and we're going to talk more about both of those here in just a moment, you, you really have to attend one of these events to understand the dynamic of it and to, to understand what a great group of people that you're meeting with. This is, a, this is a wonderful group of panelists, speakers that Allison has just outlined for us. And the people presenting the material are awesome. The people attending, also amazing. Uh, actually, uh, PJ, I, I guess you and I met at a Foresight event, come to think of it, didn't we? I think it was maybe 2007. Yep. yep. Is that possible? So. Yeah. I, I, it was completely, for me, so You were in high school, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bless your heart. Um, it was uh, completely inspiring for me because I was doing my initial research for the books. And this was a whole new world for me. I had never met anyone from Foresight, from you know, the, the Extropians, 
from at that time called the World's Transhumanist Association or Humanity Plus later. It, it, it was basically my deep dive into these uh, subjects and into the people thinking about these subjects. And I made so many friends that weekend, and I learned so much, and it opened my head up to an extent I can't even begin to describe and literally changed the course of my life. And Christine, I, I thank can, you. <laughs> yeah, I can say the same. Thank you, Christine. It absolutely, no pressure on this weekend then. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I have done in my spare time just about since that weekend has been different than what it was before. I mean, and now it's become my part of my job too. And we've done, Stephen, we've talked about the fact almost 700 podcasts Lots of blog posts. We published a book last year. I'm doing public speaking engagements now, talking about these kinds of topics, and it all goes back to that weekend. I, I don't, I don't know that I would be doing any of this or any of this would have happened had I not attended that event. So, Christine, thanks for letting us have this show. I appreciate it. Wow, that's great to hear. And you know, it's not even that these are unusual stories. I hear these things from so many of our members that especially the ones who live outside the Bay Area, often say, you know, it was only when I got to the Vision Weekend where I really felt like I found my tribe, I found my people. And that's just so heartwarming for me to hear that. So what this means, though, is that I, since I've been involved since the beginning, I have these like hundreds and thousands of friends all over the world, and they're all really special people. It's, It's just been such a joy to uh, be able to convene these events and give them sort of a meeting place so that they can find each other and start to move. Like, you know, PJ, you said, you know, you were new to this world in 2007. Well, now you're a leader in the world. You're one of the leaders. And I have you to thank. (laughs) And, And so is Phil, right? So is Phil. So it just goes to show how finding the right group of people can, can inspire you to head off in, into a new direction professionally. Um, not, first, you make a ton of friends, which is, which is great, of course, and we love that. But, but so many people have found a way to move their career in this direction, which is such a blast. Definitely. I, yeah, <laughs> so true. We're all on board. So let's, let's swing back and talk a little bit more about some of the, some of the topics that are that are going to be covered, Allison. That was a that was a good uh, quick intro that we did, and we and we looked at who some of the speakers will be. Maybe we want to match people to topics. I think that might be a, a fun way of of doing that. You mentioned Aubrey de Grey, and he's a longtime friend of this program, been on many times. And obviously, you said one of the panels is on longevity, so I can't help but think there's a connection there. So Aubrey is going to be leading that panel, participating in that. Uh, what, what what's his role going to be at the weekend? <laughs> Bingo. So um, the, he will be a speaker on the um, longevity panel together with Sonia Arison and with Max Moore as well. And mm-hmm. this panel will really, um, and, and June Yoon, um, June has written this amazing book on, um, on population um, stabilization. So kind of making the contrary claim that no, even if people live longer, uh, we will likely not uh, be run into overpopulation issues on Earth soon, but to the contrary, um, uh, he hide, calls it hiding in plain sight. We probably, um, if we don't um, really work on like increasing our health, then run into a problem of population stabilization and perhaps even decline, which might be 
which might be a problem. So um, generally, I think the life, the longevity panel, what we will cover, and I've really, I've, I'm, I'm very excited that we got this ideal stellar cast together because longevity is a topic of really, really that is really dear to my heart. And because since I can remember, I've had a really strong dislike for death myself, um, and then tried to cure it with philosophy, reading a lot of like existentialist philosophy, um, mm -hmm. that didn't do much good for existential angst. But uh, upon discovering transhumanist philosophy and, you know, like um, books like The Fable of the Dragon Tyrant, I think you you kind of realize that death doesn't have to be kind of the end of the story, but uh, is more like an arbitrary barrier um, that we can aspire to move away, right? And so what this panel we really focus on is like, what if we don't accept death is given. What if we said, okay, let's aim higher. Um, how do we do this? Um, and we will be comparing different strategies and everything from conventional strategies like calorie restriction to more, let's say, ambitious strategies like cryonics. And we will also try to go beyond the individual and ask what consequences longevity would have on society. So this is where June Yoon's um, population stabilization might come in. And then also ask, what are the kind of societal barriers that need to be pushed away or what are the kind of topics we should push as a community um, to push for aging research? So one might be classifying aging as a disease by the FDA, and I know that there's now a push for that with the metformin trials. But these, you know, could be talk, talking points of that panel. That sounds that sounds really fascinating, and it's a great lineup. Well, that's going to do it for part one of our special two-part discussion with Christine Peterson and Allison Dutman, and of course with PJ Manny along helping us out. We will be back on Friday to complete this program. We look forward to having you all with us then, and until next time, live to see it.